Welcome to Wabi Sabi Podcast. This is Adam Yasmin. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. This is episode number 26. It's been over a month here of sheltering in place in Los Angeles during this coronavirus pandemic. And the silver lining to life at home in a pandemic is the opportunity to have very honest, vulnerable, and insightful and imperfect conversations. As everyone is sheltering in place at home, wherever they may be on the globe, and faced with themselves possibly for the first time in a long time, or maybe ever. So I recorded this episode on the 13th of April, earlier this week, with my dear friend Matthew Stillman, who is sheltering at place at his home in Manhattan. And though I wish we could muse on his absolute genius, he is a writer, wrote a book called Genesis Deflowered, which looks at biblical scripture through the lens of erotica. as well as the work he does with individuals as a creative problem solver. And just a really phenomenal thinker and listener. And all that said, there's a lot to be explored during life in a pandemic. And so that's exactly what we did. So without further ado, here's Matthew. It's like, how does one even talk about anything else at this point? It's so all-consuming, this, this Medusa experience of pandemic with, you know. Why do you say Medusa? Medusa, like it, it's it's this multi, it's this multi multi level. Or multi layered sandwich of you know it's it's not just a health issue. Yeah. It's also it's also an economic issue. It's also a socio political issue. It is a social cohesion issue or lack of social cohesion. It's like a truth issue. I mean, sure. But I just, not to sort of lean on the Medusa part too hard, but do you just mean the fact that it has lots of scary wriggly uh, snakes on the head of it and looking directly at it somehow might, you know, freeze us into uh, metaphorical stone or just wondering. I, it's not so much Medusa as in, you know, the 
the the action of or like the the fear of Medusa that looking at Medusa will turn you into stone. Yeah. It's more just this very it's more like acknowledging that it is a complex and oh, yeah. and multifaceted uh, experience or a multifaceted issue. Totally. I don't mean to lean off. Yeah. It, just, it just was a very yeah. specific reference yeah. of how you might have thought thought it through, which is fine if you didn't. I, yeah. No, I didn't. No. I was, <laughs> I was interested. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, I. <clears throat> I think coming to terms uh, with you know realizing how this issue this experience which is which contains a lot of issues this experience is multi-generational multi seemingly multi-species uh multi it's it is it extends across the globe and i don't uh you know there is there is no there I think we're coming to terms. I'm coming to terms with the fact that there's, there's kind of no primer on this. Mm. Yeah. There may have been previous, obviously there are prior uh, pandemics to look at or to hopefully glean some information, some information on, but what the hell? Um, <laughs> So I'm in Los Angeles. You're in New York. I miss you. I miss you too. I love you. I love your family. We miss you. We love you. And, you know, Cora, Cora is reaching into the depths of her memories <laughs> as she's like asking for new things. Yeah. Like lately she's been asking for like, uh, she's been she's been stating clearly, rather lucidly, like guys, when are we going to Paris? <laughs> like, there's there I don't. It's like well, yeah, I get that. There's been media and there's content that's that's brought Paris up, and yes, there are people that we have in Paris, but I, I'm not spending time analyzing like where is this coming from? Like why yeah, are you asking me? I'm more just like I'm more inspired you know, at the, at the, you know, at the creative act, but also drawing, she's been drawing from this well of enriching memories. You know, when are we going to see Matt? When are we going to New York? When are we going to see Matt? Uh, can we, can we go stay with Matt? You know, that kind of thing. The answer is which, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so there's that, there's that funny feeling of, you know, projecting into not going back to normal, I guess, really by any stretch yeah. of the term, but just this kind of going, like moving forward, like that, you know, we will, we will learn some hard lessons from this pandemic, obviously on who's, many fronts. Who's the we? I think we like the like, collectively, you know? Yeah. Just people. People, yeah. I, 
I wonder about that just because um, I think we is an, is an earned thing, although I totally know what you mean, but yeah. I'm just not sure about the uniformity of it. Um, I think I say that as, as a, you know, well, as an optimist or as a sort of a, <laughs> as a, you, as a, you, as it not a utopist, is that even a word? Sure. But, um, as someone who has been trying to empathize with everyone right now. Yeah. Um, and I've been speaking to other friends, you know, whether on this program or just on a, on a telephone call or a, a video chat and just hearing, um, hearing you know the 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 echoes of the abyss from which they're speaking from and uh it's it's really hard right now for a lot yeah, of people absolutely and, and i i don't want to my my aim isn't to like distract people from how hard it is but really just to dwell in this very awkward present moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's funny, you know, before I engage in these conversations in this plot on this platform, I don't really think of, I don't really have any kind of premeditated questions. Yeah. I had a question that I thought of asking you somewhere in this relatively, you know, subjectively chaotic day. And I can't recall it right now, but I'm, I'm trying to bring it up. Yeah, we'll see if we can fan the embers. I'll, I'll see if I could. <laughs> if I could, what is it like? Sort of. Uh, it's like uh, what's the term here? I'm hacking through the through the vines or through the brush. The brush, yeah. So, in leading up to this conversation, you mentioned something in an email that definitely became very, very visual and very real to me. And you were talking about how uh, the authorities in New York are, are going to, or have already started to, to uh, dig graves in Central Park or in the, in the parks, you know, in and around Manhattan and Brooklyn and and the boroughs. Yeah. That's being bandied about it. It is not, uh, definite that they're going to, um, but it is they're planning for it. So it is a real thing that they are talking about yeah. and planning to do. It. And they've already started to dig mass graves uh, in, on Hart Island in the Bronx. In the Bronx, got it. Hart Island being, I'm assuming that's like that is a. Is it a literal island or a is literal, it just like a, a literal island off the Bronx? But it is part of the Bronx and. It is where um, it's it's one of the the potter's fields in New York City, where people who are too poor to um, or bodies that have not been claimed, or people who are too poor to have burials, have been buried in Hart Island. Right. Um, but this little island, I mean, it is small, uh, but big enough to 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 bury bodies for something like two hundred years. Um, has already had um, hundreds of bodies buried there. Yeah. 
and there's there are tractor trailers all over the city, um, refrigerated tractor trailers with full of bodies, just waiting to find a place to put them. Like mobile morgues is what you're saying. Yeah, because the morgues are full. Wow. So being there and there as in as in New York and, and New York being, I guess, this epicenter of this pandemic here in the divided States of America. Yeah. Um, you know, being that this is a public facing conversation, like what, if you can sort of send a telegram right now, yeah, out into the ether so that, you know, someone, you know, 28 years from now will be listening to this somewhere <laughs> on the globe or maybe in a space station. Like what? Yeah. Like what do you want to transmit right now? Like just in like having just said that having, having described that scenario. Yeah. And we don't have to, you don't have to, you know, muster it up right at this moment, but it may come at some point in this conversation. Well, I guess I'd just start by saying that, um, but, you know, what I just said is the case. And, you know, there are more than 10,000 New Yorkers who have died, I, I think, counting today, uh, on this day. Um, and what's the date? April 13th? Yes. Wow, I got lucky on that. Uh, <laughs> no idea. Um, which is actually, I wanted to say something about time, but I'll say that maybe in a second because you asked about time before we started. Um, so what I said is absolutely true, and I'm not unaffected by it, and I couldn't say that everyone else uh, in New York has the same sense of impact, but you know, it's it's an absolutely different um space to be in New York right now. Um, the streets are quiet, except for when punctuated really by two things. Ambulance sirens and bird sound. And I've never heard New York City be as bird loud as it is now. And it's very, very striking. Um, I've sort of always known that birds were here and not that pigeons are the, the, the loudest birds. They're not. Um, but New York is actually a very interesting place for birds because of Central Park. It actually is a stop-off place for birds and their peregrinations going north and south and even east-west, sort of depending on which bird you are. And I sort of knew that. And you know, in, in bike rides in the morning, in non-corona times, I've heard birds and I'm like, oh, wow, that's so great. But it sort of it lasts for the stretch of Central Park. And then when you're out, you're like, oh, it's traffic. And the birds are gone. But I hear them all day from the sunrise um, into the early evening. And it's so striking. And that's also happening. And spring is being, well, winter didn't happen here at all. Spring is absolutely faithful. It is doing all the things that you would imagine spring to do, that it is sometimes absolutely pleasant and balmy and beautiful. And then other days it is 
raw and cold and rainy and we've reached that time in the season where blossoms are falling beginnings of blossoms are sort of snowing off of trees um, and it's very very beautiful and while new york city right now doesn't smell anything like the country it smells more like the country than i've ever known it and i've lived here for 47 years I've come across this term rewilding or wilding. Yeah. Um, and I have been experiencing aspects of that or what I understand to be aspects of that here in LA, but to hear you talk about birdsong in, in Manhattan proper is, uh, is very special. Yeah. And it's not to to focus on that and you know diminish. No, not at all. But they are together. They are together exactly. Yeah. Um. So I've I've been on the receiving end at times <laughs> of what I would um, categorize as like conspiracy theory type information. <laughs> Or yeah, misinformation. Oh God, yes. From either from friends or from you know, quote unquote friends. You know, people I am co connected to sure. on social media, and um, internally, I have an immediate dismissal mm -hmm. of of such information, especially when. Um, hearing you describe, you know, being in New York or hearing from other friends in the New York, you know, area who have been dealing or grappling with symptoms, you know, been in and out of the ER, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, is, have you been on the receiving end of things like that? You know, like I, un, as an unwitting participant, you know, like has someone reached out to you and said, "Oh, you know, A, B, C, D." Yeah, absolutely. Um, how do you? What's your response to that? Like, how, what? What are your? How do you resource yourself to take in that kind of information? Um, I have, and it's heartbreaking and disconcerting, and also understandable. So I've tried mm -hmm. to, to be direct and firm, but absolutely unrelenting in the sense of not that I need to chase down every single thing that any person's ever wrote, but if they're, if they're engaging with me or they've asked me to engage or something like that, I try to be very clear. Just as one example, just to pick one, because there are a bunch of them that are floating around. Um, that David Ick, or Icky, I'm going to forget how he pronounces his name, I think it's Ike. Is it Ike? Or maybe maybe it's Ike. Yeah, Whatever. It's Ike. That guy. Whatever. <laughs> um, is getting a lot of uh, push right now, and you know we actually know where that push is coming from. Um, but you know he says some really interesting things about coronavirus, and you know he's raising you know this is important stuff, and you know, and so it's it's very important to say okay, 
know, I, I get that you have serious consternation about what's happening and you don't understand it and you're scared, or you have, uh, have a profound distrust of government and institutions. Okay. Um, but this is a guy who, and I'm sure you know this, but just for anyone who doesn't know, this is a guy who believes that um, alien reptiles invaded the planet uh, 10,000 years ago, posed as humans as Babylonians, um, set up a uh, a subtle government, basically that turned into the Illuminati and the elders of Zion, which doesn't exist, um, to partner with Jews who uh, to control the world and is a Holocaust denier and has been not allowed to enter into Australia because of his stoking of hate speech. So, you know, let's just say that he's right about coronavirus, which he's not, but let's just say he is. You couldn't think of a worse person to be your advocate because he's completely <laughs> not credible. Um, and so that's what I've said to people is just like, let's go through this. Who is this person? And, and it's remarkable to see how people push back um, say, well, what he said about it, about Jews isn't really that bad. And like, you're kidding me. Come on. Um, so, and some people just don't know. And some people are like, you know, aren't feel scared and don't understand and aren't near an epicenter and don't understand why things are so shut down when everything's sort of fine and normal where they are. And there have only been, you know, three cases or um, don't understand what the big deal is. And they're not in New York. Um or Los Angeles, or someplace, um, and are the the cure can't be worse than the disease um, pushers. So I've just tried to summon all my kindness and all my patience to interact with these people, but also to be, like I said, unrelenting, um, because I recognize that you know, if you're if you're interested in restorative justice, which I am, and trying to practice that, then there must be a kind of kindness if they're in your circle, and that's what I try to rely on. And then there's also the sense of limit. Like I can't say everything. Uh, to every single person who's in my circle and it's not my job to police people who are wrong on the internet or emails. Yeah. Um, by the way, just as a side note, um, are you on a headset? No, I don't have one. No. There's a little, there's a kind of a glitchy sound effect. Yeah on your voice. I don't know if it's a connection related thing. It sounds kind of cool. Objectively. Oh, cool. Great. But, uh, I just, I don't know if there was maybe a, some ability to adjust or not adjust. There's no ability to adjust and I don't have a headset and this is what we got. Maybe my voice got just it. sounds cool. It does sound cool, but it also kind of distorts yeah. what you're saying. If you're in a, Damn it. if you're in sort of mid, Sorry. I know. But you know what? This is wabi sabi, and it's it's. You know, I'm celebrating. I'm celebrating. 
the imperfections right now. Totally. Um, like the like the glitching of your voice and the 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 strange uh I guess the strange voice of reason, aka David David Icke yeah. in the world right now. Yeah. And I remember David Icke when um what I understood to be like really the the beginning of like I guess I was what I, I was maybe twenty three or twenty four um being you know playing in a band and smoking really shitty weed and this was like the depths of like bush's second pres uh second uh term yeah. and i remember a voice like his and and all i remember back then was you know they're going, there's going to be some martial law for no reason whatsoever. Just, but just to, you know, that kind yeah. of, it was like, just, just, it's like an incessant symphony or like, a, a, like Muzak. It was just constant, yeah. you know, and it was really the, the beginnings of, of just that kind of YouTube wormholes Yeah, that, you know, maybe even pre, pre smarter algorithms. And yeah, like a, a voice, like forget about his voice, but just, just to, just to focus on him for a few minutes, yeah. this guy as a, as a voice of reason for people right now, I just came across an article. I think it was in the guardian this morning that uh, a recent Pew, um, poll. Pew, Pew poll, Pew poll, uh, was conducted for around 8,000 plus American humans. And they found that 29% of people believe, believe in the, the COVID-19 5G yeah. uh, misinformation. Yeah. Which has been pushed out by, by Russian operatives since almost the beginning. Right. So The thing that strikes me the most about David Ike yeah. is that he doesn't look like a happy person. Oh no. And I, I hate to I hate to sound judgmental, but when I look at this individual or look at the f- footage of him speaking, you know, I just I don't get a sense of this like exuding love. And happiness. Not that that should be a benchmark. No, of course. Um, I, but, I'm completely, you know, um, Dr. Masaru Emoto with his, you know, water theories, which were proven to be absolutely yes. garbage. I mean, just disprove six ways to Sunday. We wanted it to be true so badly. But, you know, yes. man, you, you look at people who are the most uh, wretched, hate filled uh, people who are sort of in quote unquote public discourse. Uh, and they just look like hell. Um, when you compare people who are carrying themselves in a completely different way, um, there's just sort of a different beauty and capacity that's sort of in their frame. Um, so, well, again, Masaru Emoto is complete bunk, uh, as much as we love the idea. Um, you do see something like it with the way that people have carried themselves uh, in their days. Um, for sure. So I'm with you. I mean, David Icke looks miserable. 
That's what's so fascinating. I mean, it's like David Icke of what guys like Alex Jones. Oh yeah. Yeah. Alex, Alex, Alex Jones is, is two years younger than I am and looks like he's 15 years older um, and miserable. Yeah. I mean, Alex Jones, I don't know what kinds of, let's say, law troubles David Icke may or may not have, but I know that Alex Jones- Plenty. After, after years of, you know, like Sandy Hook, Sandy Hook was a hoax yep. uh, stuff, like I'm sure is just in, in litigation or in and out of litigation by these, you know, the, the rich, parents yeah. who have survived their murdered children. <sighs> yeah. So I have a number of friends who are yeah, recycling the and reposting um, the David Icke. What is it? The London video, Real, yeah. London Real interview. Um, I I tried sitting through some of it yeah. in the same way that I sometimes I like fucking with the YouTube algorithm and I want to watch. Joe Rogan clips, but then I also want to watch right. Fox News clips just to see. What like, do they push what, on me? What what are they pushing? I mean, also what are what are other people saying? I mean, where are they really going with this? And I I distinctly remember several months ago, obviously in a pre-COVID yeah. uh, reality, when I when I actively sought out a couple of Fox News clips. Probably around impeachment. Those time. were the days. Those were the days. Uh, I it struck me uh, watching these clips. I was I just sat there with my jaw like open, realizing these motherfuckers are gaslighting everyone. Whoever's watching them, they're just that's that's all they're doing yeah. is gaslighting people, and. There, I'm realize, and then I realized there are a there's a huge subset of our population who are willing, or who are unwilling, but still volunteered, you know, volunteering to be gaslit by this yeah. media network, and it's it reminded me of my own strange you know universe of of being subjected to being on the receiving end of you know being gaslit by my toxic parent and and um you know that that being my mother and her husband and how i was i was trying to deal with that and kind of in it you know and then after 10 years then i finally like really changed the yeah. rules of the game but um as a side note, actually, are you familiar? Uh, did we talk about Adam no. Curtis? Do you know who this the gentleman is? Former MTV VJ? No. Uh, he is a, he is a, a BBC documentarian. Um, maybe, but that's not like I don't have anything strong to bring to this yet. Let's see. Right. So he's he's produced and created a ton of documentaries. I'd say probably over the last, I don't know, 20 or 30 years. Like he's, he has the entire BBC archive 
you know, at his disposal for creating his, um, his documentaries. And they're all like, all, all of them, all of them, the ones that I've really seen, cause they're very in depth. Um, they are, I don't know if I could say they're politically driven because there's no ideology behind them. It's more like, here's, let's discover the story of how this narrative began. That's kind of what I, when I gather uh, from his, from his works. Uh, But they're all like a lot of, you know, news and B roll kind of footage that that's kind of patchwork together with like, uh, what is it? I think his, he has, his friends are the band massive attack. So it's like a massive, it's almost like a massive attack music video with actual news. I've heard of him. Um, I'm not too familiar with, but this is as you're describing it. I'm like, Oh, right. I've, this is a, a fuzzy visage. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and they are, I mean, the ones that I've seen, the ones that I've tried seeing are difficult to watch. I think he did a, a, a Saudi Arabia-related, you know, to, uh, the the topic was, you know, Saudi Arabia and, and how they politically game, you know, mm-hmm. the rest of, of the world, um, like any other country would. Um, that was harder for me to watch. He did a, a one on, on really the, the create the recreation of, of, of mm. Afghanistan uh, by you know, us led forces um, from the 1940s onward. It was really, um, I mean, I would just call them educational mm. documentaries at this point. Um, so he did his most recent one is called hyper normalization which is uh, actually a, a term coined by, uh, I think, a Russian, either a Russian philosopher or a Russian TV personality. Maybe yeah. they're one and the same. <laughs> um, and I should, I should know the meaning right now, but I just want to bring it up in this conversation because it's... Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen it... Um... I can sort of imagine some of what hypernormalization um, might summon. Yeah, maybe it's better to just to just just yeah to just gestate the term and to really to kind of go from there. But to go back to uh, you know Russian bots and. You know the David Ikes of the world. Um, yeah. Wh- how how do what is the question really? There are many questions. Usually, it kind of at some point, it kind of bottlenecks in my head. Um. Do you, given what what we've spoken about in the last few minutes, do you, is your sort of core fundamental 
of truth? Is it shaken or ruffled by the waves of information or perspectives that are particularly that are moving particularly quickly at this time? Um, I don't know. I think that there's something to be said about um, the capacity to hold firm but be flexible. I think there's also something about going with it as well. I mean, you, I think there's something very important to be able to, at this time, to put your finger into the proverbial wind to get a sense about the way things are going. Um, I mean, just let's just take the five G thing as an example. Like, it's there's there's no evidence that that's true, um, and yet it sits on top of something that is much more interesting. Um, and which is why it sort of, it feels true, which is, well, we have all this exposure to electromagnetic uh, spectrum that we never had before. We sort of know that things are worse and, you know, our cell phones bad for your health. You know, we know about, you know, people getting brain cancer 25 years ago with early cell phones. We know about lower sperm count because of phones next to testicles. Like, okay, like we get that. So, and that's, you know, somewhere between, well, it's not fringe science, it's not sort of mainstream, but like it's scientific, like that exists. Um, or scientific. I mean, I'd say like yeah. there, there is research into that, uh, been studied yes. and while not always completely conclusive because people are studying lots of different parts of it, people have found like, yeah, it does have um, things, you know. But you know, things like microwave water don't necessarily. Um, so there's a question about like, well, what does the EMF spectrum do? And so, and I, I personally am interested in that. Um, you know, just as, a, yes. as an example, you know, I've written a long research paper, which is sort of uh, following the watercourse way into a book that is about the impact of fire on making humans and the effect that it's had on the status of women and feminine values and culture. And I'm tracking amongst other things about what happens to, to a culture when they make a technological advance, being able to hold fire in a smaller and harder container. And every time that that happens, um, we can see in relatively short order, there is sort of a, a crunch on women and feminine values at each one of these um, shifts. So when you go from campfire to oven to forge to chamber to uh, uh, chamber and a gun to uh, to electricity to radio waves to um, to nuclear bombs, just to, to pick those as some, but these are okay. smaller and harder containers in which to contain fire. Um, something happens in the culture. Now that won't be able to be tracked scientifically. That's fine. But so like, I, I'm interested in that and because you can sort of follow that sociologically uh, and historically. Um, so when I, and I know that, um, or I'm, I'm confident of that. And so that makes me think like, okay, I'm interested to hear people who are 
not uh, in the in the mainstream center line of what is objectionable and objectionably true. Um, I'm I'm okay with listening to that, but you know you need to look at the way that people are presenting it. Are they presenting it with questions? Are they presenting it with scholarship? Are they presenting it with question with questions of their own? Um, or they're presenting it with, with skill. Because when someone says definitively, I know what this is, or I'm telling you, um, then, and, and you know it's you know outside the, the realm of possibility, you're like, well, I need to, if your, your manner of approach says everything about the way I can approach you. And so I think, you know, I, I have mercy for the people who are buying into this because they're trying desperately to make sense of something that is so outside of their experience. And this is their articulation for sense-making. Um, and so, again, mercy to them. But you, I think it's very related to the Western world's lack of capacity with being with mystery. Grief get over it. Death, get on with it. Um, as opposed, you know, and get a handle on yourself or get a handle of it or get control of your life as opposed to letting grief or death get their, get a handle on you and really be undone. And so like the lack of, of skill as a dominant culture, um, which isn't really a culture, to be undone because they don't know how to sit with something and we're right at the beginning of this um, to, yeah. to nail it down as opposed to say, to let it be complex and say, I don't know yet is understandable. And so I've actually been thinking about this. Um, you were talking about like, there's you're looking back on old uh, pandemics and how to be. Um, and I've been thinking of, about a, another version of this and, if I'd like to tell you about it, if you're interested, I would love that. So, you know, I have the notion that what's happening now is, is a, a mythic event. It's not necessarily a myth, um, but it's definitely mythic. It's very big. It's way outside of the human scale. And we're trying to make meaning of it. Um, so if I asked you, Adam, how old are Greek myths? Just, there's no right, I mean, there is a right answer, but like, just, just, what would you say? I would say 2,500 Great. years old. There are some myths that are 2,500 years old. The oldest Greek myths are 4,000 years old. Great. Mm-hmm. So they're old. Um, but the fact that there actually is a range of them is sort of interesting. Uh, and there, and there are, and the mm-hmm. ones that are 4,000 years old have roots in something that are older and we can trace some of those. Cool. The ones that are younger actually are about 2,500 years old. I mean, there are ones that are younger. Um, 2,500 years is probably about the youngest of the Greek myths. Um, so there's a there's a Greek myth, um, which is the story of Phaeton, which is uh, a younger myth. And here's what the story is. Uh, I'll sort of retell it. Um, so Helios, who is the son um sees a beautiful woman on earth and says wow she's great and 
goes down and says, I'm the son. And she's like, wow. And they hook up. She gets pregnant and has a baby. And he says to her, I just want to remind you that I said I was the son. And I have a job to do every day. So I really can't be involved in this relationship long term. But I love you. And I'm out of here. Got to go make the sunrise. Bye. Uh, <laughs> and... Alas, but she gives birth to the son, and his name is Phaeton, which means the Shining One. And it's not kept a secret from this young boy that his father was the son. Uh, his countenance is beautiful. Um, but, you know, his father's never around, so there's no evidence of this. And so when he's a, a young boy, but, you know, old enough to do things in the world, his friends start mocking him and saying, like, your father's not the son, let's be honest, your mother's a whore, and you've got nothing, you're just using this to try to cover the fact that, like, it's a big hole in your life. Um, and he says, no, he's not, he's my real dad, I'll show you. And so he goes to the end of the earth um, and finds the place where the sun sets just as uh, it's going down, which is an incredibly long journey. And he... Mm -hmm sees his father getting off the the, the chariot that it, uh, of the son, and he recognizes his father right away, and the father recognizes him, and the father sees him and says, oh my, Phaeton, I cannot, like, I'm so glad you're here. I love you. The fact you made it all this way, he embraces him in his hot arms and says, my son, I never thought, knew I'd ever get to have a chance to meet you, and now you've done this remarkable thing to be in my presence. I swear on the river sticks that I will give, grant you a boon for having done this remarkable thing. And so the son, Phaeton, says, that's so great, Dad. I'm so glad to have this time with you. I just want to be as good as you. So what I want to do, since you've sworn uh, this oath, I want to drive the, the chariot of the sun tomorrow. Now, <laughs> you know this is a Greek myth, so this story is not going to go well. <laughs> Helio mm -hmm. says, oh, my son, no, that is the worst idea. Please change your mind. I, You can't do it. And he's like, Dad, I'm your son. I can totally do it. And he's like, fuck. And so he gives him a crash course of, like, everything you need to know uh, about this, this deal. They do that all night. And in the morning, as the sun's about to rise, Helios is like, oh, this is going to suck. Um, these, uh, <laughs> these, these horses that breathe, that are fire and breathe fire, uh, feel that there are hands that are not very strong, um, holding the reins and, and off they go. And they just start tearing through the sky and it's crazy. They start to burn the, the stars. They start to swoop down towards the earth and make deserts, as the myth goes. Um, and somewhere in the middle of the day, Zeus is like, this is going to destroy everything. And hits a light, takes a lightning bolt and throws it at Phaeton and the chariot and destroys it. And in the... The myth, it says, the body of Phaeton fell in uh, in the river 
Arrhenius, and then the chariot landed in a lake, um, and that noxious gases came out of the lake, and that also at that same moment all the all the trees started weeping um, where the uh, the chariot had landed. So that's and then it said that uh, Helios was so sad and such grief that he didn't drive the chariot the next day. A, there wasn't a chariot had been destroyed, but he just was grieving. And then the day after that, he he reemerged. So that's the story. Um, now, this happens to be a geomyth. Um, and geomyths are something where cultures create a mythology out of something that actually happened in the world. Um, it could be about a mountain, it could be about a sudden whirlpool that they saw. It could be about anything, but we actually know, we actually know mm-hmm. what happened that made this myth come to pass. The Greeks didn't necessarily know what that was, but I'm going to tell you what that is in a second, um, and it relates to everything we're talking about. I think no, I think it does. It absolutely does. So in 1908 in Russia, there was the uh, what was called the the Tunguska event. And there was a meteorite that came in steep across um, Russia and was going about 40,000 miles an hour and exploded with the force of 85 uh, bombs that exploded over Hiroshima, making a, a blast radius of about 1,000 miles. Um, this was in r- rural Russia. And right. Eyewitnesses right. to it of all different kinds said that they were that the earth was shaking, that they were terrified, that they were like forced, they were thrown, um, you know, tens or um, tens of feet, um, that the sky looked like it was on fire, that it uh, and that the sky looked like it continued to go on fire, um, and they feared for their life, their houses were knocked down, like all sorts of mayhem happened you know even 500 700 miles away um from the center of where this was happening mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and it was you know it was this meteorite they didn't know that at the time but they figured that out and there's more to say about the tunguska so we know that um a meteorite landed in southern bavaria in about the year 200 uh bc um and the Eridanos River, which was mentioned in the myth, is actually the old name for the Danube, which runs right through Bavaria. Um, and so we know the meteorite that happened that was huge. And we, there's a, a lake that's there that has a residue of, of fossilized toxins that would have possibly been the, the noxious gases that came out of the lake. And there's lots of amber um, that's there from trees that were probably sheared off and sort of just bleeding at their stumps. Um, and so, but of course the Greeks wouldn't have known that that's what happened. They would have, and and we can tell by the size of the blast hole um, in Southern Bavaria, that this was probably about uh, 185 times the size of Hiroshima. So you would have, it would have flown right over Greece 
and it would have had an experience of people not knowing what the fuck happened and terrified by it. Now we know this this myth uh, of Phaeton by uh, Ovid's book Metamorphosis, and Ovid was a gatherer of old stories, sort of like uh, the Grimm's, um, and he wrote that book in the year eight, so eight A.D. So that's about two hundred years between when the meteorite crashed in Bavaria but flew over Greece and to when he wrote his book. Now he, in his notes to Metamorphosis, said, you know, like, I've consulted the oldest stories to, and to retell them here and uh, with all the details that I've heard from you know, old wives and myths and whatever. And so all these details are actually in the myth. Well, that means that for it to be an old story for him, let's say it was 100 years old. Oh, I'll just go back and say one thing. We know that it landed in 200, about 200 or so because we can tell by growth rings in trees that they suddenly slowed. Uh, and there's other things to say about Tunguska, about the way this affects the world for a long time. Um, but this, ma- this maps onto a meteor strike um, or a meteorite strike. So there was a, this 200-year gap between when the story was written down and when it happened. About, I mean, it could be 210, but that's the, the length of it. And so what that means is that the Greek people, well, I'm sure people had ideas about what it was and what it meant right away. As a culture, and these were mythically inclined people, these are people who thought mythically, uh, who saw the world mythically, it probably took them about 50 to 100 years to make sense of what happened in the form of a story. And a story which, you know, has all sorts of things to to say, but, you know, for the Greeks, they said, "What what did we do? What did humans do in relationship to the sun? What did we forget? What did we, how did we approach our relationship with the gods in a perhaps imprecise way that would explain this story. What hubris do we need to remember? That was their explanation. No, did not say that's a, a right or a wrong one, but that was their culturally endorsed understanding, which probably took between 50 and 100 years for that story to coalesce as, yeah, that's the thing that happened, because we all remember that. We all remember our grandfathers talking about what the fuck was that. And so they've agreed that this is the way they're going to tell the story. But in our time, there's this rush to say, I'm not going to be undone by this. I know what it is. Right. And because we're not mythically inclined and we're mythically illiterate, there's this sense of, I, I will not let myself be bewildered by it. I need to know. And I need to know now. The immediacy is a reflection of what happens in our time. We want everything immediately. We want our Amazon packages delivered immediately. We want our text to be responded to immediately. We want our emails responded to quickly. We want to, you know, uh, have 10 steps, whatever it is. Like, it's absolutely faithful to what the culture is, has practiced doing to say immediacy, as opposed to cultivating the skill of being undone to say, I don't know. Let's make sense of this bit by bit and wonder and see the, the way that this starts to make sense 
together and over time. Um, and so that's some of what I've been wondering about because you know a meteor strike is not a, a pandemic, but it was e- equally massive that affected everyone and under- and messed with their way of understanding what order was in the world. It must have been because it was huge. So that's a little bit about what I've been wondering about this question. And that goes to, as I was saying, the the conspiracy theories being a reflection of the time for refusing to be bewildered and refusing to wonder and the need for immediacy and knowledge. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. I know. Or put that on my brew that and brew it. Brew that. Um, I have a friend who I'd love for you to meet one day named Michael Park. He's a friend and mentor. He's really yeah. just like one of my elders who I met over tea um, here in LA. And he told me stories of having uh, studied at Oxford or spent a, some time, yeah. some university time in Oxford. And then from there transitioning to the Shearborne house, which was a, yeah. a JG Bennett commune experience, like some, some kind of Gurdjieff style experiment yeah. in living uh, and community. Um, he always reminds me at very yeah. eloquent and opportune moments that we don't know what ought to be. Yeah. Ever. Um, and I don't think that really, I, I, I've heard it from him for 10 years and in my own personal evolution of the last 10 years, it's, it's impacted me in a myriad of ways, but realizing it right now, um, it's really profound to share it in this moment because the only thing, the only constant I've been doing since this happened or since we've been in, you know, quarantine, AKA shelter in place. Um, I haven't been trying to rush to any, I haven't been trying to make sense or have any definitive anything. And yet it's coming at me from many angles because of the very nature of social media. So so that's understandable. Um, But that very construct of immediacy and convenience and hyper hyper information mm-hmm. or overstimulation to have a full stop yeah. to that in a way obviously the internet's still on i mean if tomorrow it went off for five days i'm sure we have a lot of interesting stories to tell you know on day six um 
and I'm also reading right now um, All right. Newport's book, Digital Minimalism. And I'm, I'm, I'm on a, I just, as I was reading it minutes before getting on this call with you, I was taking in, you know, what he was, uh, how he was referring to uh, solitude being, um, being an important step towards, I guess, doing good work or being able to function, you know, in society or function within a, I don't know, a family unit or in a yeah. work unit or something like that. But he says, he says, don't confuse solitude yeah. with isolation. It's just having the, you know, maintaining the importance of being with one's own thoughts. Um, and to recognize the possibility that many people right now are facing themselves possibly for the first time in a very long time poses quite a yeah. pickle for, for those people. Cause as you stated and you know, as you preface this Greek myth, yeah. people are myth illiterate right now. And the, the thing that really struck me about the 5G stuff is that it came with the same stupid <laughs> yeah. infographic, like like a like a uh, like a piece of yeah. war propaganda or something. Like, look at this flyer; it's it yeah. shows you everything you need to know. Look at this map. You see that map is red and this the same one is purple and it means it means this. So like we're inferring And Bill Gates has a secret patent you know, on the coronavirus and he's given money to the World Health Organization and he's going to vaccinate you himself with his micro vaccine and control your mind through 5G, which has been his plan since he started MS-DOS in 1982. Yeah. With money from I, George Soros. Right. So like basically lassoing all these people because we didn't do that with what Clinton yeah. and her, the in the pizza sex ring and like, and that's, this is this, the really the, this is what life is like. The fact that there are these like very real, um, just dynasties of information and stories that are yep. happening in the span of like weeks or days or months now that people don't remember the emails. Yep. They don't remember. The we're, so we're so mythically um, illiterate. They're just focused on. And we're so convinced that immediacy yeah. is the way that we're going to be satisfied that we forget things. Yeah. So, On the one hand, I feel like I want to, I want to share with people like, Hey, we need to not this thing that we're doing, we need to not do. And yeah. I also don't want to tell people what to do. Instead, I want to like preserve my, my, uh, the state of my well being. 
um, and embrace, you know, as the book put it, like whatever yeah. forms of solitude, you know, I, I or we have right now. Speaking of which, um, one of the things that struck me about you when I met you that was very impactful to me was your, uh, like you didn't, you own, you own a, I, I noticed in my time with you uh, that you own an iPod, yeah. but not like a smartphone. I don't think you own an iPhone. Is there a story uh, behind that? Yeah. I've never had a cell phone. Um, when cell phones started to happen, I had a, a desk job and I had a, a phone next to it. And I had a computer at home and I had a landline. And, and I just sort of had this sense when that was um, starting to emerge. I was like, oh man, I'm already on it. I'm looking at a screen all day. And, and I have a screen at home. And I have a phone. Like, what do I need a cell phone for? Like, I'm not clear what you actually need one for. Um, and I also sort of said, like, I don't want another bill. And, like, when I'm with and I'm, my initial thoughts were, like, because I was seeing it start to happen, um, was when people had cell phones, they would start to not be with each other. Um, and this was, like, relatively yeah. early. Um, you know, to, you know, 18 years ago, 20 years ago, um, that there's was a sense of like, you would already start to not pay attention to the person you're with. And I just, I like being with people when I like to be with people. Um, and then I also started to see that, um, that it started to, again, like this is pretty early when texting became sort of like a, a more dominant way of interacting with people through cell phones was people started to not be good to their word. I'll see you at three, but I'll text you along the way. Like, and it started to all get mushy, but because for me, not, I don't not to make myself superior, but I was like, if I said, I'm going to be there at three, I'm going to be there at three. Like maybe that'll be three Oh two. Maybe that'll be, you know, two fifty five. but like, I'm going to be there. Um, and so that was strange to me. Um, and then I just, you know, then the way that my freelance career worked that I, again, I was working at home and I had a computer and I had a phone and I was like, I don't know what I need, uh, need this for because I, I'm, I'm just doing it because just the way that my, right. uh, my meanderings that sort of added up to a career, just didn't require it because I was home and worked from home. And then at some point, um, my job or my jobs took me out of the home and I realized, yeah, sometimes you, I actually might need something in the world, but I don't want it to always be on. And I don't want it to always be, you know, I don't want it to distract me from people. I don't want to sort of feel the need to be drawn away 
or have an you know infinite uh, screen time when I already have so much. Um, and so the the compromise that I made is that I got an iPod Touch, um, which is basically an iPhone without the capacity to text or have um, a data plan. Um, so if there's Wi-Fi, I can connect to it and I can check my emails or tell people or schedule things or do whatever I need to do. But I have to decide to do it, and there has to be Wi-Fi in order for me to do it. So I'm, it's not always on, um, and I'm on that device plenty um, because it's uh, it's useful. But it, I can't just automatically use it, and I can't text people, and I um, and so yeah. The, the story is that I I want to be present with people. I didn't want another bill. Um, I had a sense of my own bandwidth around screen time and the effect that had on my nervous system. I still have too much, uh, I would say anyway. Um, and so, and now it's been, you know, 20 plus years since cell phones have been a thing that I haven't had one. And so now I think we would, oh, and, and, you know, and my parents harangued me like, um, just get one and you'll, you know, why do you need to be such a Luddite? I'm like, I'm not a Luddite. Like, um, I just don't want to have to respond immediately to everything. I don't want to feel the pressure to monetize every moment, which so happens so much with cell phones. Like, let me just do this, this quick little bit of business. And again, like, I do that with this little device sometimes anyway. Um, but I can't monetize every moment with it because it's not always on, because it's just because of the nature of the, the device that I chose. So that's the story. Mm-hmm. So it seems like it's really just a pragmatic decision. Well, it's I mean, there, there are politics driven. to it, but I mean, yeah. uh, because it's not a cell phone, I'm not driven in the same way to get a new one every two years because there's a plan or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm using less material. So yay, that's less, uh, I put this in quotes, less um, slavery of children in Tanzania mining coltan with their hands. Like, you know, I'm not... Uh, innocent in this regard like i'm a consumer as well but like because i'm not don't have a data plan and i don't need to get a new phone every two years um it it works for a lot longer so there are political elements to it yeah 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 that really impacted me like when i met you and saw that um because I've been feeling, I'm actually looking at a hawk wow. flying outside the window <laughs> as I'm talking with you. <laughs> yeah. Talk about rewilding here. Um, yeah. So graceful. Yeah. At this stage, I, I feel like. I can't be unreachable at all at all times in case of emergency, but I am experimenting with this device, which actually came out of Brooklyn. It's a very oh yeah, I've heard device. about these and they're dumb phone. phones. Sure yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, um, yeah, it's 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 nice. Um, I've used it like as a, you know, I popped the SIM card out and put it in there and like taken it when I like took core to the playground or, you know, when I'm 
going yep. out and I could be reached, yep. but I don't want to be distracted. So it's, sure. a, it's a different kind. It's a different decision. Um, and I actually spoke with one of the co-founders on this show uh, last fall as I was waiting for my device to arrive because I pre-ordered it, you know, yeah, like a, it was an Indiegogo thing that then they, they made after they got funded. Um, and right about now, seeing that we're at home and we yep. will be home for the foreseeable future. I'm thinking to myself, why, why have the, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely questioning it again. And I'm inspired by your story and I definitely can feel from people who are incre getting increasingly anxious about having access to, uh, you know, these, uh, I don't want to call them myths because they're not myths. No. They're conspiracies. They're distractors. They're, you know, anything that really is put out there to like, Oh, it's here to empower you to question the truth or question reality. It's like, but it feels yeah. really bad to read. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah. So again, and this sort of like utopian, sort of professional optimists right now. It's like, I hope that people are quite, you know, sort of sizing up their value system so that they make necessary yeah. updates to their day-to-day -day lives at this time. Um, but you know, in reality it's, it's, uh, you know, they're just waiting for that little uh -huh. window of Amazon deliveries to open up so they can order their groceries and, <sighs> And so life keeps goes on. Life and death is life, life keeps yeah. lifing. Um, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I look forward to whatever it is that you will be writing in terms of uh, on the top yeah. of that, uh, that Greek, that Greek. I look forward to reading it yeah. and sharing it with people. Thank you. And I, I want to, I want to put a bookmark in this conversation and continue it actually much sooner than later. I want to, I'm encouraging like every, every guest that I've had the privilege of speaking with to like, especially while we're in this time, who yeah. knows for months or a year or 18 months or something, like I want to get into it yeah. as often as possible. And for the next one, I want to send you okay. some tea that we could drink at the same time. I still have some of the tea that you gave me, so we could do that. Okay. Well, that works too. That would save you <laughs> on the postage and, and the hassle of getting to the post office, which may not even be open by the time we do this next. Who knows? I, I've read about that. And there may not be a, a USPS. Everything. Very long. Yeah. Terrifying. That's. Yeah. Well, Matt, thank you for the stories yeah. and for the anecdotes. 
And thanks again. We love you and miss you. And I look forward to the next conversation. Yeah, Matthew, so the I, next I chapter would just say before we go that I remember very clearly when mm-hmm. I saw you last and saying goodbye to you, and and how it was hard because um, I love you so much. Um, but also there was a sense of like, well, you know, we'll see each other as soon as we can. And you know, no fault on any of our parts. Uh, and it was probably proper that we forgot because otherwise the goodbye could have been even more painful than it was. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is that we both were like, yeah, we look forward to whenever that is. Um, I'll try to get to New York soon. I'll try to come back to LA. Um, and so the, our goodbye was probably a little bit easier than it should have been because the truth of the matter is, is that I don't know mm. when I'm going to see you next. Um, and while it's likely that you and I will both live through this, that's not assured either, but let's just take that off the, off just for a moment, just to say, I don't know when the next time I'm going to see you mm-hmm. is. And, and I don't know if the next time I see you, if we're lucky enough to get there, uh, that it will be safe for us to throw our arms around each other and be, and express our gladness of being there. Um, but I pray that it is. Um, but I would wish and long for the fact that I don't forget in that moment how lucky I am um, and not to take it for granted at least once because uh, I'm sure I'll forget again. So I'm making this now, I'm saying this now, not just to remember the time that we that we saw each other last uh, in your living room, but just to say that when we're saying goodbye now, I, I have a, an echo of that time and also the, of this time. But I'm not sure exactly when I'm going to talk to you next. And I love and treasure you. And I pray that if anyone is listening to this, just to uh, have that included. Not that it needs to be, it needs to be centered upon, but just that it's, it, it has a place at the table. Thank you for listening to... The conversation with Matt. Please check out the work that he does at stillmansays.com. That's S T I L L M A N S A Y S.com. And if you're interested in purchasing a copy of his book, Genesis Deflowered, be sure to look at the show notes uh, where you're streaming the episode. I'll add the link there as well. And if you're enjoying these conversations, please take a moment to subscribe if you haven't already. And while we're all at home, seemingly with more time than we know what to do with, please reach out, leave a comment, leave a review for the show. Follow me on Instagram at Adam Yasmin underscore. 
check out my tea service if you're interested in exploring a virtual tea session or discussing aspects of digital wellness and coming up with a plan for improving your relationship with technology at my site, which is enjoyslowtea.xyz. And lastly, if you're interested in supporting the show, you can do so through Patreon. So check out patreon.com forward slash wabi-sabi podcast. And I hope you stay safe and healthy during these uncertain times. And remember to just take a breath. Nothing is, what is it, what's the saying? Relax, nothing is under control. <laughs> <laughs>